Amen. So I want to talk to you just about five different kinds of wrestling, just real shortly, real briefly. But uh, I was just thinking this morning about the wrestling matches that we are a part of in life. And uh, I wrestled just a little in high school, and then Daniel brought all those memories back a couple years ago when he spent a year wrestling on his high school wrestling team. And one of the things that I really remembered was losing. I wrestled for a little while and didn't win the single match and tried really hard and learned a lot about wrestling. And then Daniel wrestled and first couple matches he didn't win. I mean, he's a big guy. I mean, he's in the heavyweight class and that covers a lot of territory. Once they reach a certain point, it's just you're in the class called big. <laughs> and it can cover a wide thing. And Daniel lost a few. And then I just remember the first win. And it was like, what a good feeling. Because he didn't know anything. He, he couldn't do sports when he was younger because he had leukemia for a year, his freshman year of high school, and just couldn't engage in some of that. And, and so for him to be able to go out for a sport was kind of a, a, a miracle in and of itself. And so he gets out there, and his eyes are open to wrestling. Wow, this is hard, you know. And, and it just really just brought a whole lot to my mind, the reality of wrestling in life and getting your first win. You know, the feeling you have when you get that first win. And we were talking about that even in the prophetic time, and that's part of what brought it to mind is one of the hardest parts of wrestling is persevering when you aren't winning. You know, you're, you're just... The, in, at the heavyweight level of wrestling, at least in, in high school, it, all the wrestling happens on your feet. Because once one 300-pound guy or 280-pound guy gets on top of another 280-pound guy, it's kind of over. Because <laughs> whoever's on top wins. Because you know? <laughs> the other guy can't lift. You know, when the younger guys, they get on the ground and more action happens on the ground than on your feet. But the big guys, once you flip somebody over, it's like, ah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so I just watch. And, and at that level, so much of it is just, it's all just wrestling for control. Oh, and it's all just... It doesn't look like that much because they're just trying to knock each other's hands down enough to get a grip and flip the other guy. That's the whole match. And then it's, ah. And there's a little more to it, but, it, but there's, it's so exhausting. And you're giving everything you got to get dominion over the other guy. That's wrestling. And you, you have to be in incredibly good shape to wrestle. Because as soon as you run out of energy, you lose. Yeah. That's why the scripture says that so many wonderful things about 
perseverance, the trial of your faith builds his perseverance. He allows us to be tested. Turn to somebody and say, trials are wrestling practice. Where we learn oh, how to wrestle, how to persevere, how to, how to fight. But we're learning how to use our authority. And, that, and I'm so, I so enjoyed, I'm not much into the get on your knees and birth. That's not my kind of intercession. So you go knock yourself out, dude, but I'm not, I'll sit in my chair and rock. You know, thank you very much. That's kind of where my body cooperates, you know. And you get me on the floor, you might not get me up. <laughs> I've had knee surgeries and knee replacements, and so I'm, I'm done with birthing. <laughs> I'll birth from my chair, thank you. But uh, actually, there's a new kind of birthing. They even give birth in hot tubs. I mean, give me that one, Jesus, you know. I'll birth all day if you put me in a hot tub. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm being a little silly to make a point, you know. That's why I appreciated the balance that was provided by the team. You're trying to get everybody up here on their knees, and then uh, nobody, I didn't see anybody come up and do that. And I was like, okay, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I'm not alone. We give. And then, you know, Wesley's up here singing, just move, get up and do something, you know. And that's like, that's balance. Great, let's, let's give people room. And so that was really a, a nice balance, too. You were in the moment, and you were in calling people for it. And we, we can't lose the point when the example might not fit us. You know what I'm saying? Because that didn't fit me, the, birth, the birthing. And there's a whole lot of people that that won't fit who can still wrestle in prayer. And so making the exhortation, but then giving the space to however it fits you. And I loved that addition and the team of balancing one another in a gracious way. Because that wasn't something that needed correction. It needed balancing. Because that wasn't, there was nothing sinful. That was passionate. And I mean, I'm like, thank you, God, there's somebody in this room with that kind of energy of prayer and, and articulation. And, and that was like, you know, you were creating a platform to people to engage. And I specifically didn't. Because I didn't want the guest minister to shut down the body by suddenly he's up doing his thing, you know. I wanted you guys to rock that because you were. It was wonderful. So well done and well done and well done. And every, everybody that was engaging and the lady with the cool dress and, yeah, I was like, yeah, you're up there praying. I have to admit I was more interested in, that's a nice dress rather than <laughs> while you're praying. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, prayer requires focus. <laughs> but, but, you get my point. I love what you did and how you balanced one another and created a culture of engagement without demand. Because we want to invite people in, not put an expectation on them that they're not prepared to engage. You know, and, and that's where growth happens. If I feel like a failure because I couldn't get up here in birth or didn't get up here in birth, that's not a healthy thing. But if I feel that's a great example, a great model, but I have freedom to express it the way that fits who I am. Yeah. And so I was just really blessed this morning by that. But all of that aside, the five areas 
you know, Ephesians 6 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So there's wrestling. But we do wrestle. In other words, our wrestling isn't wrestling class. Our wrestling is against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There is a wrestling that God calls us to and invites us into that we cannot grow dull to. Because too often, believers, well-meaning, good believers, their eyes slip from where the real battles in life are, and we start interpreting all of our struggles, all of the resistance from a human perspective, from an earthly perspective. And and it's easy to do in the problems in our family, the problems in our church, the problems in our careers, the problems in our workplace, the problems in our communities. It's easy to lose sight of where the real battle is, the real problems. And, and what that does is that creates a passivity in our wrestling or the absence altogether of wrestling. Because we, we, we start relating to our prayer as more of a religious formality or a, a way to feel better in God's presence and to you know encounter God, forgetting that this part of the conversation is the second half of the purpose. Prayer connects us to God, and that's wonderful, and we love that. But prayer also is what extends the body of Christ out into the world to diminish demonic influence wherever we're in relationship to what we're praying because your prayers have power. Your prayers alter the atmosphere over your church, over your city, over your family. That's why I grabbed hands with my whole family, had everybody grab hands and and just took some time and prayed for our family because we got all these different arenas of conflict that... Sometimes we can just settle into accepting them as for their natural realities rather than realizing they are demonically empowered. They are demonically empowered issues. What, whether it's an emotional response, whether it's a bad habit, whether it's, you know, I, I had a, a dream, or not a dream, I had an encounter where I was pastoring down in Sturbridge and a, a guy who was in our church for years came to me as a young guy, um, you know, early 30, or early or mid-20s, or early, late 20s, you know, newly married, and he, he came and said, Dan, I had a dream last night, and an angel came to me and said, go and have Dan Lee pray for you about the spirit of lust, because he has authority over that spirit. And I was like, okay, this is so real. Here's an angel visiting one of my church members, telling them about an area where I've gained some authority and to go get prayer. This is all happening up here. Yeah. This is all happening in the invisible realm. I had another uh, person come from far away and join our church, and here's what they said as they joined our church. First thing they told us, they said, Dan, I had an angel come. And they said, go to, they said to them, you have been hurt by church leaders. Go to Dan Lee's church in Sturbridge 
because you will be safe there. There's a spiritual world that is being navigated in the invisible realms and many of us have lived our whole life believing in Jesus and having faith in Jesus but not understanding the real world that we're a part of. The, the scripture says the visible things are but a dim reflection of the invisible things. We are a part of, the scripture says that your, encounter, your acceptance of Christ is the, the transaction that takes place is that you have been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and been brought into the kingdom of God's glorious light. So the moment you accepted Christ, you, you had a spiritual transaction that is real out there. Just like there are earthly authorities over every city, region, nation, there are spiritual realities that have influence over your church, your family, good and bad, over the city, over the nation, over the state of Maine. And they, they may only have a small sphere, just your family, or they may have a national sphere. There are spirits that influence us nationally. Our spirit, our nation was birthed and labeled a spirit of independence. You ever heard that phrase? It's all over. You go to Boston, you see spirit of independence. They've named ships that, planes that, spirit of independence. Oh, what? Did they even know what they were saying? But it's real. You read the book of Daniel, 9 and 10 especially, and it talks, an angel of Gabriel comes and tells Daniel about the spiritual battle that's existing around where he's at and that his fasting and his prayer were a part of that and were what part of what helped the purpose of God to be released into his region. So never doubt the validity and importance of what you were doing here today and what you will continue to do and what will, part of why there's more people here than the last time I came or some other time I came is because you're doing this. You are changing the spiritual climate so that people who are in need can be rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. When I was a teenager, I was bound, I was depressed and I got saved and spent 10 years being radically transformed from that guy to a new guy. Healed, delivered, trained, discipled. And then I started to invest my life in setting others free, helping others find that same blessing and freedom. And, and that's what we're wrestling for. But it's a, it's a battle. It's a wrestling against spiritual forces of wickedness. Yeah, what are they? Spiritual entities that promote wicked values, wicked thoughts, wicked behaviors instead of godly values, thoughts, and behaviors. It's that simple. It can happen through media. 
I mean, my son James, he was telling me about an area he was wrestling with in his life, and he was thinking about it and was on the phone, and all of a sudden, right as he was thinking about that area, this demonic thing popped up on the screen that was um, was like a pop-up, but it came out of the blue, and it was this horrible thing. And, and he said, man, the moment that happened, I became so aware that this is, there's some spiritual reality to what I'm struggling with, not just some mental reality. Because this thing just came up on his screen. And that's, you know, you, you just go down the highway in some areas and the billboard after billboard is just inviting you to perversion and lust and adultery and anger and destruction. You turn on, you go into a video store and death and mayhem and anger and express, solve your problems with violence. I mean, you look at our nation and the increase of violence and they want to take guns out of people's hands rather than taking video games out of people's hands. We, we've raised a whole generation to, to, play, to find entertainment in killing but then we wonder why they do when they do. And we think there's this other thing is the problem. And we need to understand that everything has an influence. I had a dream one time before 9-11 where America was relatively unscathed by the terrorist problems around the world and and all of these other things. And I was in the spirit watching in this experience and trauma, tragedy, conflict was coming closer and closer. And then finally it landed very close to right where I was and I was in the shelter of God's presence, but I watched death and destruction sweep through and then a beam of light from heaven shone on me and God said this, he said, Dan, the spirit of entertainment has hardened. Oh, no, he said, I'm angry with America because the spirit of entertainment has hardened their hearts to the fact that people are dying all around them. See, when our hearts become hard, when we entertain ourselves with things that violate God's heart, violate his ways, violate his values, whether it's sexual things, whether it's financial things, lust being entertained by greed and, and financial theft and our movies and entertained by violence and games. You know, Grand Theft Auto, what a great name for a video game to give our kids. It's so fun to steal and to be vile and do this, and then we expect them to go live a moral life. Because it, it, there's a spirit that empowers these things. The creator themselves, the creators of some of these movies and games. I, I certainly wouldn't want to be married to Stephen King. The amount of demons in that guy's house, for his mind to be able to produce the, the evil and the vile things that he's created, that I'm not even just talking about everything that concerns us about our education, our government, our economy, the, the values that those, the people represent, 
They're all coming from demonic origin. They didn't just sit in a chair and think it all up. The ones driving the thoughts were demonic entities. And that's why Jesus demonstrated that so clearly when Peter tries to talk him out of going to the cross before the cross. He says, Peter, actually he says, get behind me, Satan, to his best guy. And then he explains why. He says, because your thinking is wrong. In this moment, Peter, you aren't thinking about the things of God. You're focused on the things of men. In other words, you've allowed an earthly value system to, to, to change a right interpretation of what's really happening. When I'm telling you this, that I'm going to the cross, the right understanding that I'm trying to give you is this is a part of God's plan and it's intentional. But you are allowing this a spirit, a demonic influence to reinterpret truth to be something else. And as a result, you are giving voice to Satan in how you talk to me. And you see, if, if Peter, one of God's best, the author of actual books of scripture, can be allowed to be that off and that influential even when speaking to the Son of God, how much more can someone who has not been personally related to Jesus for three years speak to someone who has less discernment and authority than the Son of God. Anybody here less wise than Jesus? Do you understand what I just said? I mean, anybody here less holy than Jesus? Anybody here less discerning than Jesus? Less, yeah, anybody... Yeah, 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 but that's my point is in every area of our lives, we are less than Jesus, and yet Satan still chose to deal with Jesus that way. That needs to be a revelation to us. You need to know who's talking to you. You need to, even your best people, that's the point of the message, is that even the best people, voices speaking into your life in a given moment can fall from a place of representing God because of how they think to slipping into a place where in that area of their thinking they think like the devil instead of like God and they are seeking to implant that value in you that's the power of Satan in the church that's why we're doing gay marriages and still saying Jesus is Lord. That's why we're, that's why we're, any value that does not reflect Jesus, do you get what I'm saying? We have to live alert and aware and discerning and recognizing, okay, these may be great people generally, but in this area, they're representing something other than Jesus. And so I need to be able to weed the garden. Say, okay, I still love the person, but that area, that's not coming in my house. That's not coming in my mind. That's not coming in my thoughts. 
That's how, why we need to screen our marriage partners, the people we give influence in our churches. I mean, because somebody can put on a really good show and have just one huge disqualifying area simply because of a wrong value that is not a biblically founded and grounded principle. And that's spiritual warfare. That's part of wrestling. The, one of the ways that we wrestle with the demonic is by wrestling with truth. Yes. Yes. And so many churches denominationally or individual churches have chosen to accept beliefs in an effort to be nicer than God. That's love. No, that's not love. Jesus would love. No, he wouldn't. That's because that's not a definition of love. That's where in that moment they do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. A humanistic definition of love because love is also pure. Love is only love when it reflects God's definition of love. Because simply you look at the Bible and it says God is love. Therefore, holiness is love. Because you cannot cross the line between God's morality. If he was willing to judge Sodom and Gomorrah for their behavior, that's his standard of certain things. That's a standard of certain things. That, and, and so I'm, I'm not trying to target that issue right now. I'm trying to target a clear understanding of a concept that is so much bigger than one issue. Because the church and your family and your mind are being assaulted from every direction. Because the enemy, here's, I don't know if you've been paying attention to Ukraine and Russia, but they don't care which ground they're taking. They just want ground. And so they attack one side, and if they can't get in here, they move over here, and they attack this side, because what they're after is ground. Your kingdom smaller, our kingdom bigger. That's what's working, because if, if that's what it works, that means I get more resources for my kingdom, more people, more money, more influence. And I'm not talking about... Russia and Ukraine, I'm using that as an illustration of the greater battle, which is the battle for you, for our nations, for every nation, the battle for truth versus the battle of darkness. And if I can get you to believe a lie in one area, that gives me another, in, in military terms, they might call it, gives me a forward position. Because now I'm a little bit more on your territory and from this point, now I can launch additional assaults deeper into your territory. And so, all right, I got a little more. So I'm here now, so I can launch a little more into there. And, and eventually I can maybe outflank you and now I can attack a whole value. See, some of us don't realize that half of the discussions that are going on are really at the root of them trying to discredit the Bible. Because if I can steal enough of your legs out from under your chair, the chair's going to fall over. So right now we're trying to prove that human history goes back further and further and further than the Bible says it does. 
And we're trying to reestablish what marriage looks like because that's another value that the scripture is strong about. And we're trying to steal this and this and this. And so it's principle of truth. It's leg by leg, stealing the chair upon which the body of Christ is built. And, and, it, and we're missing it. We're, we're letting all these things in as harmless, but they're not harmless. They're truth stealers. They're forward positions from which they can attack the more important issues. How can the Bible be true if we've proven this, if we've proven man comes from monkeys, if we can if prove human history went back this far, if we can prove this and this and this, and, and society just accepts it blindly because the scientists said, And then in the process, now, you know, if you've been following the, the whole CDC health thing and the, the, the World Health Organization trying to uh, become a voice in global policies, because now we don't need to rely on the, or we don't have the barrier of the U.S. voting policies anymore about... Um, whether we should have vaccine mandates, we can make it a global thing. And so now we're accomplishing one world government, but not calling it government. We're, we're creating world structures in forward positions, one by one by one. We did it with, we've been, the enemy's been trying to do it with um, ecology for years green legislation. You know what? That's far more about uniting the world around governmental policies than it is about actually stopping harmful things. That's why they're, that's part of why Trump withdrew from a bad policy regarding, because regarding the economy or the ecology is because half the nations that signed on and said yes, they're not doing it, but they're expecting America to do it. We created the United Nations, and most of that's funded by America. You look at how many nations are past due. It's, a, it's being paid for by a very small fraction of the people. And, and I'm trying to get the point across. This is how the enemy works. He will take your freedom. He will take your truth little by little by little, but he'll do it in ways you don't realize you're being robbed until it's too late. We let the health group take this point from us. We let the ecology take this point from us. And now they've got 15 different governing bodies regulating different parts of world response and world values. Now they can unite that. And they never have to deal with individual response. And, and that's how the enemy works, to rob you little by little. And this is warfare. This is all spiritually driven. And that's what you're praying about. Because the same way I just described it globally is the same way the enemy creeps into your family, creeps into your own individual life, little by little, one value, one truth at a time. And we're blind to it because society's changing, culture's changing. So we should change with it. There's a difference between culture and truth. I am all for changing with culture. I am not for rewriting truth in the name of culture. What is true is true. 
and I may express it differently from one culture to another. That's one of the benefits of traveling the world. The church looks different and the same all around the world. I've been all over the world, 27 countries. I'm every, I haven't been to Antarctica yet, but there's not a lot of evangelism opportunities down there unless you're trying to win the penguins. But, but you, you get my point is where the church is, I've been to most of those continents, and it's the same but different. The truth is what unites us. The cultures express it differently. I'll tell you, the potlucks have a lot spicier food in Sri Lanka than they have in America. Thank you, Jesus. It, 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 culture versus truth. The cross is the cross in every country. Dying to self is dying. I'm, I'm going on this longer than I expected, this theme, but... I just really feel the importance of laying this foundation so that we understand the battle. Because all the prayer, I mean, even your ability to walk in health, financial freedom, is rooted in do you believe? And whether you believe or not is a spiritual reality and how the enemy operates is, how God operates is faith, how the enemy operates is unbelief. And it's been that way since the garden. All right. I'll hit the others real short because I want to prophesy. But it's your fault. You went long in worship and got, got all prophetic. And so, no, I'm just kidding. Another type of wrestling is when we wrestle, the distinguishment between wrestling for ourselves and wrestling for others. Epaphras was praised in Colossians 4 for wrestling for other people. Paul said, Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you. I mean, what a great thing to be known for, wrestling for others. But it shows us a part of what it means to serve Jesus, what it is to pray. It's that we recognize the, the value of wrestling in prayer for others. I was thinking of that this morning in my heart to wrestle for my family grew. During that time, that was one of my personal breakthroughs while you were doing that. So thank you for persisting. It was just called me higher and saying, Dan, you've got to keep wrestling for your family, both for our unity and for our individual growth and health. The next, so we wrestle for others. We wrestle against adversaries in our lives. 30, Psalm 35, verse 1 and this is now earthly adversaries. But how I wrestle against earthly adversaries is in the spirit. The psalmist in Psalm 35, 1 says, contend with those who contend with me. So he recognizes there's people in my life resisting me. They do not want me to succeed but he doesn't go after them. He goes after God. And he says, God, contend with those who contend with me. And it doesn't mean we never respond to human scenarios. Sometimes there is wisdom that God gives us of how to resolve an issue with someone who's contending with us in a way that honors God. 
but it begins with contend with those who contend with me. And as I cry out to God and I say, contend with them, Lord, he may give me wisdom of how to do that in the earth, in a natural response. Just because someone has a competing business doesn't make them my enemy. But if their business is attacking my business, that's a different thing, and I need wisdom from God. How can I respond to these attacks, this unjust behavior, in a way that glorifies you? Because what I don't want to do is respond in a spirit that's not the spirit of God. James makes it very clear there's two kinds of wisdom. Wisdom that honors God and comes from God and wisdom that is what's described as earthly, sensual, and devilish. In other words, it comes from somewhere other than God. We don't want that kind of wisdom. We don't want to build our lives, our church. We don't want to represent that to our families. We don't want to represent God in our city that way. One of the things I love about Mike Bickle is he's been attacked globally numerous times and God told him from the beginning, say nothing. Humble yourself and pray and I will vindicate you. And time after time, sometimes a decade later, God has vindicated him in ways that were profound. So we need to learn that understanding. The next one, very simple, is many people... We're wrestling for our identity. Who am I? We're wrestling for a right picture of ourselves. Because the moment that you, or as long as you live in a wrong understanding of who you are, you, you, relate, you have unhealthy relationships and you don't, you're not able to represent Christ. The passage that came out to me this morning was in Genesis 30, verse 8. Um, See if I can find it quickly here. It's Rachel, and she's giving birth to a, a child, and she's celebrating the birth of her child. But listen to what she says. I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won because I gave birth to a baby. I mean, does that, do you, do you hear the unhealth in that? There is this jealousy and competition between sisters that's dysfunctional. And she's celebrating the fact that she's got a child now as a competitive, this is my value before God. And that's not where our value comes. I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. But who, where does your identity come from? My identity comes from Christ. My, I, I watch my own sons, as I brought up before, the word for James, the importance of James not being in Daniel's shadow. And then the last one is with God. Ultimately, our struggles are with God. All of our struggles God seeks to form us. Genesis 32, 
He seeks to form us and shape us. And when you, I want to read that, Genesis 32, 24, just very quickly. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, this is in Genesis 32, starting at 24, Genesis, or uh, Jacob is wrestling with an angel. And it says he wrestles all night. And there are times and seasons when God brings us into his presence. And he, he has us wrestle. He wrestles with us. He says, you know, I want growth in this area of your life. He talks about who we are. I mean, his, Jacob's name is deceiver. That's, that's who Jacob is. He's been labeled. He's lived in that identity his whole life. And he demonstrated in, in how he created division in his family. He created division by his response. And he stole his birthright, his brother's birthright, and this unhealth response. And as he did this, the, uh, the Lord confronts him now. He's bringing him back. He spent 21 years divided from his family. And God's bringing him back. And a part of doing it is he has a wrestling match with Jacob. Jacob, I want you to be who I created you to be. I want you to be able to enter in to your promises. And to do that, we need to talk. You ever had those moments when God says, you know, for you to be who I want you to be, we need an adjustment. We need a talk. And there's this wrestling. But what I love about it is it's, it's God wrestling with him. It's not a human thing. It's, this is something that happens. It says he wrestled all night. See, there are times when God will come and he will keep you up all night. And you just can't sleep and the thoughts just won't leave. And you, you wrestle and you wrestle and you wrestle and you wrestle. And you need to know in those moments, that's, that's God helping you. It's God saying, I want to bring you to the place of transformation, of real change. And he's, he gifts him with that. And I just really feel the importance of all of these because one of the things I've learned about being able to gain victory out there and in here is I have to gain victory in here. Because if I am not wrestling with God personally, if I'm not letting him change me, fill me, talk to me honestly about who I am, I won't see rightly the battle in here and the battle out there. That's how God starts. He brings change from the inside out. I know there were times over, I mean, this year my wife and I, are celebrating 30 years of marriage. And there have been times over those 30 years that we have wrestled. Anybody ever wrestle in your marriage? Areas where we're contending with one another. And in all of that, I've, I've had to wrestle with God before I wrestle with my wife. He says, Dana, you can't bring change in your marriage until I'm allowed to change you in how you relate to your marriage.
how you pray for it, how you think about it, how you learn to honor your wife and not compare her to someone else. Because she's your wife, they're not. Because that's one of the biggest snares that creeps into the body of Christ in marriages is comparison. Because we, we make the mistake of valuing gifts, elevating gifts. Oh, I wish my wife was, could do that, was like that. To say, Instead of, this is who I married. Lord, bless my wife. I've spent, I have spent more time praying for my wife in answer to temptations that have entered my mind on every level Temptations to bitterness, temptations to comparison, temptations to, temptations to, than almost any other single thing outside of my daily commitment to pray for my wife. But the prayers that rise up as I'm going have often been, that's how I war against those thoughts. If I'm being tempted or distracted in my thoughts, I respond by praying for my wife. But so... All of the wrestling, do it from the inside out. Wrestle from the inside out. So Lord, we ask you right now, just for grace in our wrestling, I want to just reserve a little time to prophesy over some people. I was so blessed by the announcement that this is a long church service. (laughs) But I just want to speak life over people now. But Lord, first of all, help us to be those who can discern the truth. Those who wrestle. Lord, thank you for the example of how you put Jacob's hip out of socket. Lord, what was that all about, Lord? That, the fact that in the wrestling, he put Jacob's hip out of socket, that seems to point to a principle that God cares more about your spiritual and emotional health than your physical health. He cares greatly about your physical health. But it seems to elevate one above the other. He's willing to touch that area of his physical health for the sake of